Greetings and welcome to another episode of Righteous, Ratchet, and Real, a podcast for people who love God, but sometimes side-eye church. <laughs> I am Renee, and I'm blessed to be here with my gorgeous and lovely and wonderful co-hosts, Greta and Keisha. Greet the people, y'all. Hey, hey, everybody. So happy Black History Month, y'all. Yay. Um, yay. We hope this 365. Right. We black all the time. So I mean, you know, you know, we just extra black this month. Um, <laughs> but we hope this month that you're able to actually have a seat and rest in your folding chair instead of having to swing it. Okay. Nice. Amen. February also marks the beginning of Lent. And if you listen to our last episode, which we really hope that you did. Uh, you know that forty that Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter, um, the celebration of Jesus' resurrection after being crucified, rather lynched by the system. So uh, in our last epi episode, we really talked about um, how we came to observe Lent, our various journeys getting toward Lent and understanding it, particularly from an AME and a Baptist perspective. Um, so, you know, you all have to go back to that episode to really get the floor one, one on how we came to it. But I want to ask my co-hosts, how has your practice evolved as you have evolved? How has your Linton journey changed as you've changed? And I, and I'll start off by saying, um, before seminary, so I, so seminary is really where I truly learned about what Lent is. Like I, I got some, some you know, uh, a starter, a primer, if you will, when I was doing Bible college at the Pentecostal church back East. Um, but I still, even after all that, I thought Lent belonged only to the Catholics. That was very much a Catholic thing. Um, and so in seminary, I, it was around the 2010s, I was surrounded by a whole lot of other Protestant folks who were observing Lent. And that's when I learned that, no, it's for everybody. It's ev for everybody who, who um, is Christian. So I saw my, my classmates working through it as spiritual practice. They were doing it individually. They were doing it collectively with their congregations. Um, and then I also belonged to a church, a Baptist church that practiced Lent, but not quite in the same way. So we weren't really about giving up stuff. Like that's not... That ain't how we did it. Um, but we still observe Lent. So so how has that evolved for you all? I'll say for me, um, I think I've learned to be less harsh and less strict on myself. Because I think when I first started, I felt like I had to cross all the T's and dot all the I's. Otherwise, it was not, it wasn't good or, you know, something like that. So I have learned to release some of that guilt, release that perfection that I thought was required or demanded. Um, and I've become um, more gracious with myself when I, when I practice Lent or observe Lent. But I've also, and I've always felt this way, just being in ministry period, that is not just about doing Lent for Lent that whenever I feel God pulling or tugging on my heart um, or feel being called to a fast, you know, regardless of when it is to do it. So it's, it's not just about Lent, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, but definitely giving myself more grace over the years. 
if yeah. I and if I slip, you know, whatever whatever language you want to use, if I slip, you know, it's fine. I just reset, if you will. Um, I definitely feel that, Greta. I have, I never even thought about it, but I, I have, um, just allowed myself to recognize that things happen, um, and I'm more gracious, um, and not as strict with myself. So if I get sick, I'm not going to, you know, say, okay, you got to stick to this schedule. I'm like, no, my body is in a different place. And so I'm going to honor the fact that I didn't plan on this happening, but we're going to, you know, give my body what it needs. Um, I think that I came into my practice based on corporate um, Lenten fast. And so it was whatever my pastor was prescribing for the church to do is what I did. And as I have evolved, I've recognized that that's an option. <laughs> like I can choose to opt into what the corporate fast is, right. or I can choose to hear the spirit saying something different for me. Um, and so, uh, because my church definitely did like a very, like pamphlets, this is what we're giving up, this is what we're doing. It was not, um, it wasn't like in my Catholic school days where, you know, like they decided what they were giving up, you mm -hmm. know? This was very much so we got a whole booklet, we got readings, we got this, you know. And so over the years, I've landed on a place where it's a very personal experience for me. And I spend time seeking God. What is it that I'm doing this Lenten season? And sometimes it is to go with the corporate fast, but sometimes it's completely different. And I'm okay with that. The Lord and I are free. <laughs> that is um the the corporate part of it is really where I sat for for a long time and not really taking as much of the personal part of it and that's probably why I feel like I feel now like this this lent I'm unsure uh as to what I will be doing I really haven't landed anywhere yet but that that is yet to be determined but um one of the things that happened for me during that time is, like I said, our church um, observed Lent, but not in, in the context of giving up something. Um, our church was focused on uh, a communal experience. And for us, that meant joining with about seven or eight different churches um, and creating something called the East Bay Lenten Caravan. So all the churches were in proximity. Uh, most of them were in Oakland or in Berkeley. And these were Baptist churches, CME churches, AME churches. And the pastors had relationship and decided, you know, that they were going to worship together every Wednesday night during the season of Lent. And they're going to rotate preachers, rotate choirs, rotate uh, locations. Um, and the preachers would preach from the Gospels. So we were intentional about focusing on Jesus' life. Um, so that was really a, a great time. I mean, we were also giving together. That was also a time for, um, us to enact those Kwanzaa principles that we talked about, about having collective economics and we would give together. And as a result of our giving, we provided scholarships to students who were members of the seven or eight churches that were part of this caravan. And so every year, you know, they could get a sizable, uh, um, a sizable scholarship for one, at least one student in every congregation. And that's dope, you know? So 
Lent took on more of uh, a community, a, a communal feel for me during those years that I was with that church. Um, so yeah, you know, at that same time though, for me being in seminary, I was in an evangelical seminary. I was at Fuller. Um, now Fuller is evangelical light, very, very light. Um, so, I mean, I'm not trying to put them in the same league as some of these other spaces, evangelical spaces, but during that time, a lot of white folks were leaving pulpits and leaving churches and writing books about the ways in which an evangelical theological lens had caused harm to them or to the people they loved, people in their congregation or what have you. And as a seminarian, one of the things that gave me pause was, you know, it, it's good to question the scriptures, right? I was told to always be Berean, right? Going home to, to search the scriptures for myself and to see the, if what I heard over the pulpit is in fact, you know, if that aligns with what's in the text and what the Holy Ghost says. So that, that's cool and all. But once you start picking apart stuff, mm. picking apart scriptures, picking apart um, the structure of faith itself, Mm. It becomes like pulling a thread on your sweater, on your knit sweater, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling. And the next thing you know, you've unraveled the whole thing. Like, ain't, ain't nothing left. You just mm -hmm. got a whole bunch of string here that's, that's just left unformed. Like, you don't know what to do with that. So a lot of, um, you know, learning that we do in seminary, the exegesis and the hermeneutics and the Christology and all the soteriology, all of the, all of the ologies and all of the things sometimes have us in a place of, wow, that text didn't say what I thought it said. That doesn't mean what I thought it meant. When you go to the Greek, when you go to the Hebrew, it's like, wait a minute, what have I been believing all of my life? Mm -hmm. Like, all that stuff ain't even in the book, mm -hmm. right? Stuff I've been saying all my life, stuff I've been believing all my life is not even in the text. And sometimes that can be a little bit, you know, whew, do a little something to you. Um, so this, this, this idea of deconstructing your faith has, has taken off, particularly in evangelical circles, um, to the point where it's taken off where people are like, you know, trashing the whole Christianity as a whole, right? And walking away from the faith completely. And then some people are pushing back and, and are going even more towards a conservative theological perspective. Mm. So it, it's, it's very interesting when we talk about deconstructing, taking something apart. Um, because for me, if I'm taking something apart, that means I definitely want to put it back together and prayerfully it would be better than, you know, better than what I started with. But I don't know. I don't know. So I want to ask you all, have you all had this experience of deconstructing your faith? Like, did seminary do that for you? Or was it another period of time where you have actively, you know, sat and, and questioned your beliefs and, you know, dismantled some things? So I was going to say seminary, but as you asked the, the question about have we done it before? So I will say that college probably is my first time of um, starting to deconstruct my faith. And it came about because, and my sister and I joke about this. I was like, I was in a cult. <laughs> and so mm. I'm joking, but I'm dead serious at the same time. I was like, but it was, you know, um, the, 
I think it's called the Church of Christ. But anyway, they're very much so um, a they're they're Christian, but um, and they're a church. But when you do research on them, they're categorized as a cult. But they're very much so like controlling of who you date, you know, who you um, are around. They didn't want me to go to college because they wanted to keep me close. Like, yeah. It was, it was a thing. It was a thing, and so. Um, but I was. What I recognized is I was just searching for something deeper. I was searching for God in a deeper way, and so um, went to college. And um, that first semester of college, I was like, I. They wouldn't even really allow me to stay on campus um, on the weekends because you know that's when you party and you get you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, come to Pennsylvania come to Philly so that you can stay with uh, some other young adults that are in college. They were older than me, but, you know, they were living together and then they go to church, you know, they're like trying to introduce me to, to, to guys that are part of the, the community. And so my mom um, started going to the church um, back in uh, Maryland. And so they told her that they could not baptize her because they did not think that she was ready to be baptized because she was questioning some of their beliefs and, you know, and so um, then one of the ladies that, you know, studied the Bible with me, uh, she was like, well, you know, basically tried to distance me from my mom because they recognized mm-hmm. that if my mom was questioning, that was going to cause me to question as well. Wow. And so I was like, that what you won't do is play with my mama. <laughs> like, and so that, caused me to then take a serious pause and I started asking them questions as well. It's like, how do you say when somebody's ready to be baptized? Like that ain't, that ain't Bible. Like, <laughs> right. No, you can't judge somebody if they're ready to, you know, be baptized. And so that began my journey into questioning and deconstructing. Um, what I learned as a child, you know, like I, I had been, you know, like a moving target in, in church. So like grew up, my grandparents were Anglican, my grandmother, grandmothers, SDA. Um, so I was always in a very eclectic church mix. I did not have a certain level um, playing field like this. Like we, we've been Baptist our whole lives. That's, that's not, that was not my story. Um, and so I denomination, like I said, I went to Catholic school. So I was always um, all over the place. And so that's when my hotel phase kicked in. And I was like, you know, all, I was like, well, is Christianity the white man's religion in the first place? And so it, it brought me to, you know, exploring other faith practices. So I um, started to really just, you know, look at different things. I came back home from college and I ended up um, becoming AME at that point and just really sticking with my faith. But when I went to seminary, it gave me the language to understand some of the, the, the questions that I had or to ask some deeper questions. But overall, for me, it helped me. I don't know if it was necessarily say so much deconstructing as it helped me understand at the moments where I was deconstructing and what I landed on that it affirmed them and said, you know what? You're not crazy. You're not a wild person out here. This may not be what everybody says and thinks and understands, but these are really valid experiences and questions that you've had. So I'll say for me, uh, yeah, mine absolutely began in seminary because my professors at McAfee, they were all about, this ain't your mom and them faith. Mm 
they would tell us that straight up. And um, and then I began to hear people say, well, you know, the seminary is really just a cemetery. It's yeah. where faith goes to die, that kind of thing. And so, but yeah, it, it really allowed me. And I remember my church history, Dr. Allen, he was very adamant. This is, our job is to make you question what you've been taught and to think about it and interrogate it. And um, so, yeah, I would definitely say it started for me in seminary. Um, and even, <laughs> um, what I do with my congregation, just in terms of, they know I like to muddy the water. That's what I call it. And so um, I tell them there's nothing like a good question. I said, I'm just going to throw the question out and just, you know, we're just going to talk about it. So anyway, um, very recently, I ain't going to tell that story. Um, not at my current church. At another church, I did a Bible study on the Holy Spirit. Can, can you report what you're not going to say in the group uh -uh. chat? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But um, I did a Bible study on the Holy Spirit. Um, and I've emphasize the fact that spirit in the old testament is feminine mm -hmm. and i was arguing for the femininity of god mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. some mm -hmm. people were fine with it others they were like i ain't never heard that and you know it's that kind of thing don't you mess with my jesus that that kind of so you know you you get I guess I'm saying all that to say, as I am learning and deconstructing some things, I like to pass that on to my congregation. And for those who can accept it and get it, it's fine. And for those who don't, that's fine too. But I think it's my responsibility to at least expose them to it. Mm -hmm. And they can decide for themselves. That whole don't mess with my Jesus thing is real because I, I was at... Very. I was at Calvary Bible Institute. That's when I was in Bible college. And co-pastor Susie Owen, she was in, uh, I think she was at Howard at the time getting her MDiv or something, or, or maybe she was even doing the DMIN at that time at Fuller. I don't remember. And she, she was teaching our class and she said, you know, don't go to seminary. Don't go to seminary to gain an education and lose Jesus. Right. Mm -hmm. She said that that was one of her, fears in going to seminary because she didn't want to lose Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to some degree, I felt like losing the Jesus that I came in with was probably the best thing that I, that, that happened to me. Yep. And I really wanted to lose even more because I felt, felt like a lot of my, my classes at Fuller didn't go far enough. Mm. Clearly they didn't go far enough to deconstructing um, all of this. But again, this was during the time when seminaries were kind of, you know, shaking because mm -hmm. of this idea that, you know, students were, were actively seeking to deconstruct their faith. I remember that one of our professors uh, got fired from Fuller mm -hmm. because he wrote a blog and it's saying, have nothing to do with his day job, child. Mm -hmm. And he was offering a theology that was welcoming and affirming. Mm. And it wasn't even like overtly like, you know, mm -hmm. like, like upsetting tables or anything like that. It was just saying that the love of Jesus is radical. Mm. And, you know, and so how can we not 
affirm and see folks mm -hmm. who love differently than we do. You know, what is this? Mm -hmm. um, and he, they gave him the ax. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. He was supposed to teach my next New Testament class, like part two, like who gonna do it? So uh -uh. it was in an era when people, it was kind of a watershed moment. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it also, for me, there were, there were moments where I felt a little bit fearful. Again, there's this idea of if you pull at the string, you know, what, what, what are you going to uncover or what is going to be left bare, you know, um, after you get through asking all the questions and doing all the digging and doing all of the exegesis and, you know, all of that. Um, so have there been moments of, of your journey where you felt like you're decolonizing your faith that, that has scared you or intimidated you? Uh, yeah, I'm still coming across some. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, because, and, and I think I've shared this in some form, you know, um, was it Dr. Butler? Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I still really remember the conversation I had with him about some things that he was teaching us in our demand program. Not that I didn't believe or thought he was her heretical or anything, but, you know, he was just pushing against the faith that we did inherit, right, from from whomever, um, a colonized, right, um, aspect of it or, 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 you know, whatever. And so he was just saying, well, you know, why did they teach you that? Who taught you that? And so he was just really getting me to question some of the things that I had learned and been taught. And I'm still not comfortable with some of the answers or thoughts that have evolved out of that. Um, and I think it's just because it's so in me. Mm -hmm. um, it's what I know. It's like that comfortable set of house shoes and they trying to put me in heels and I don't like heels. So it's like, I, you know, so I'm still weighing what to do with that. But I will say this, um, and that's just some aspects. And if I were to really think I could tell you specifically, but um, it, it does make me, it gave me a framework for asking questions about why I believe what I believe. And sometimes I'll walk away like, yeah, that's right. And sometimes I'll walk away like, I don't know. And so I, I have more I don't knows um, that I'm holding in tension. And so I don't know. I'm not sure if I answered your, que your question, but um, I do have a lot of moments where I'm sitting with stuff and I'm like, I don't know. You know, especially denominationally speaking. Um, because our AME believe a certain way and, and we have a certain practice, even though some of that is being um, challenged right now. Um, so, yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of things that are up in the air, but I do believe there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And it's a scary work because, like you said, when you start pulling the parts at certain strings and fabrics or threads, you don't know what's on the other end of that. And I don't know if we're going to talk about this individual later, but that's why 
I don't always agree. And, and I've told, and we've talked about this, you know, for those of you who may know who Christian Smith is, he does a lot with decolonizing and deconstructing faith. And there's some things I agree with Christian on, and there's a lot I don't, but I respect him to the nth degree because he is really putting in the work and scholarship of, you know, questioning some things. And mm -hmm. I respect the brother for that. I really do. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's a scary work, I think. And it's, and he's mentioned the fear that he's had, you know, especially in the beginning with doing that work. But um, I don't think it's for the faint of heart by any means. Hmm. By any means. That's why I try to do a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I do a little bit. I can't do whole boatloads of and major topics and themes. I need to do just a little bit. <laughs> and I'm comfortable with my little bit. And then I push it, push the envelope a little bit more. So I'm doing it incrementally. Doing it incrementally. I don't know if I would say that it's scary for me. I think it's naturally who I am. I am a questioner. And so I probably lean into that uh, very easily. I think maybe what it is, if I were to say that there's an aspect of fear is that I would go too far and, and not really be where God is. You know what I mean? I think that that, if anything, I would say is a fear is that it would just be that I'm more led by self than by what is the truth of God. So I guess that would be, if anything, a fear. But at the same time, I think of our faith as a fluid um, practice. And so I think that there are times that we lean more to one direction and more to another direction. And the spirit centers us, uh, recenters us back on uh, the truth to speak to what Greta talked about with um, people who are doing the work. Um, I do like, uh, you know, Christian's podcast and I listen to it. There are times that I definitely feel like, mm, that's, that's a little too far for me. Um, I will say though, that um, I don't think that, that asking the questions is a problem. And I guess that's what right. people's real fear is that if you ask the questions that you're going to get it wrong. And, and that's not for me where I am. I, I'm, I much rather ask the questions if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think one of the moments that was scary for me in our doctoral program, probably two moments was uh, the, the class we had with Dr. Rachel Harding. Shout out to Dr. Harding. Um, when we talked about um, different religious spaces, we talked about Condomble and we talked about Vodun. We talked, you know, and we talked and, and talking about Vodun, uh, which for the listener, if you don't know, Voodoo is the bastardized name that, of the religion. The name is Vodun. Um, when we're talking about that and, and just really doing the scholarship and the reading and, and listening, to her talk about these practices, it was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This has always been something that is too far. This is demonic. This is, you know, this is outside of the realm. And so right. there were moments like that when she was connecting the dots between, you know, condom and Christianity. I was like, wait a minute, you know, 
hold on. It, that was scary for me. Mm-hmm. That was very scary. And it, and it made me question, well, well, girl, what do you believe about this? Yeah. How, how is the man turning water into wine? Like, what, what is that? You know, if, if we're talking about uh, witchcraft, are we talking about, you know, these things, you could argue that that some of what Jesus did was witchcraft. You could argue that now, you know, I know that may be too far for folk listening. Let's take a deep breath. Okay. So now, so now, you know, I, I just, I just want to underscore that it's moments like that. And the moments like when we were on our study tour in Ghana, Right before I got sick, we were on our way to to, uh, a a spiritualist, right? To go experience a worship service that was not a Christian worship service, right? But, you know, so there were some some feelings in me. I had questions. I asked Dr. Butler, I was like, so how does this all line line up with Christianity? Like, I... I was trying to make sense of stuff that that just wouldn't go make sense until I saw it. Unfortunately, I got sick right before seeing it for myself. And I would have realized, oh, wait a minute, this is just Christianity, you know, in a different in a different vehicle. Right. Um, But it's, again, moments like that where the journey of deconstructing or decolonizing my faith has really been scary Mm -hmm. and has really been. Um, something that I've kind of wanted to step back and say, wait a minute, Jesus, is this you? You know, mm-hmm. when I heard, when I first heard the term decolonize, um, it made more sense than the word deconstructing, right? Because mm-hmm. again, deconstructing yes. is taking apart, right? Yes. Yes. So decolonizing it, seeing theology in a way that is no longer shaped by the Eurocentric patriarchal brand of Western Christianity that we have inherited, right? It's seeing it through the eyes of black, of the lived experiences of black people, right? A liberative theology, a womanist theology. Um, So that made for me more sense to understand how to to unpack these different things. So um, I was, was, uh, for a while, following on social media, the unfit Christian, her name is uh, D. Danielle Thomas. Mm-hmm. She operates a site and she calls herself Unfit Christian. Um, and you can find her on all the socials as, under that name. But she said in a, in a podcast interview, she said, decolonizing faith for me means unpacking what does it mean to look at God and not see yourself reflected? Mm-hmm. And why do we not see our reflection in God? Unpacking who's been benefiting from telling us of a God who can only see us as whole if we fall into these very narrow, limited definitions of what it means to be Christian. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what she means by decolonizing faith, taking Mm -hmm. it all the way back to, you know, the beginning without those filters and lenses and seeing God and seeing ourselves in God's, you know, in the reflection of God. Um, And so that means questioning how we view and practice our faith Mm -hmm. in light of our gender, our race, our ethnicity, our sexuality. It means challenging interpretations of scripture that um, use lenses of white men, white people. Right. It's looking at our reflections in the text, physically, emotionally, spiritually, 
in terms of our social location, right? Finding ourselves in the text, being in, empowered to see that and engage our faith from those perspectives. One of the people that I feel like is really doing the, also doing the work of decolonizing our faith is Reverend Dr. Melva Sampson. Mm -hmm. The digital space called Pink Robe Chronicles. And she is, oh my God, from week to week, she is giving it to you straight. Mm -hmm. Like it is very much a womanist mm -hmm. um, gathering of people centering the lived experiences of the women in her lineage and the women in her circles and the women in our community and the women amongst us. Um, it's really a, a transformative space. And so even, you know, some of the, the work, some of those services that I've listened to, I haven't always been ready to take some of the leaps that she mm -hmm. takes. Right. But it has been, um, an opportunity for me again to question what I believe. What mm -hmm. do I really believe about it? Right. Right. And that will always lead me back to Jesus. That will always lead me back to asking questions of Jesus. That will always lead me back to scripture. It will always lead me back to, to what, um, what I know and to who I aspire to be for God. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's always going to leave me in that tension, which is a, a great place for me to be, um, and for me to grow. Uh, there's a there's a phrase I know I'm gonna get it wrong, but some of the greatest fertilizer for your faith is to be in spaces of discomfort. Mm -hmm. Some of the greatest fertilizer can be found in discomfort. Mm -hmm. So sometimes learning to be at ease in those places of not knowing, of understanding that so many things are just part of the mystery of God, we ain't never gonna know. Right. So, so we just ain't never gonna know. Like Jesus ain't giving us that secret. God ain't giving up that information. You're just not going to know. And if you knew, <laughs> you'd be, why would you need God? Right. If you, so, yeah, I think learning for me, learning to live in those spaces has been helpful uh, to help me understand, you know, where I'm supposed to sit with certain things. But thinking about it from a, from a, a, a scriptural perspective, right. The righteous perspective. I love thinking about spiritual practices and including Lent, which is what we're, we've been talking about these two episodes, right? In terms of, um, in terms of decolonizing it, right? Amos five says, Amos five twenty one through twenty four says, "I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them." And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Right? That's God speaking to the children of Israel. And, and for me, that text, along with the one that, Keisha, you read last episode, uh, Isaiah 58, was it? Um, it feels like God is not so concerned about our fasts and our Lenten seasons and our festivals and our holy days if we're not doing justice, if we're not uh, bringing forth righteousness, if we're not doing the things that bring us into the kingdom of God. So then the only way I can think about Lent 
if if that's truly what God desires from us is justice and and um, a, a, a freedom from oppression for those who are oppressed and for caring for the orphans and the widows, then then the Lent that I have to practice has to in some way speak to that. Otherwise, what am I really doing? Mm -hmm. what, what am I really doing this for? Right. Um, so one of the things I knew I had to decolonize for myself was uh, with regard to same gender loving relationships. Now, I was at the, at the time I was doing this, this deconstruction of decolonizing when I was in seminary, I was also newly licensed at a church that was progressive, is progressive, it's a Baptist church, but it was also quietly welcoming and affirming. And what I mean by that is that it didn't have a gay pride flag out front, it wasn't flying no flags, it wasn't in no directory for you know folks who are um, looking for a church where they can be you know received. It wasn't like that. It's just, it was a radical uh, place of inclusion. Mm -hmm. Everybody's welcome. And they meant everybody. And so, you know, that's that's the, the heart of where the church was. And it also meant that gay people could be in leadership. Mm -hmm. Right. And so for me, I had to pause, you know, and be like, wait a minute, what what does this actually mean? Mm -hmm. I have, of course, have gay friends, but hadn't been in relationship with someone who was gay and said that they were called to preach. Mm -hmm. Right. Openly gay, called to preach. And so shout out to my friend, Rob. Not long after I was licensed uh, to preach, he came to our pastor and said, yeah, I, I believe I have. I, I believe I'm called. And our pastor said, Rob, go meet with Rene. Y'all should talk. And so Rob came and he was like, you know, I'm, I'm called. And we had lunch and over lunch, I was like, my brain was scrambled because I was like, how can you be gay and be called? Like, Lord, what is, what? I don't understand it because I was coming from a very, very, again, Baptist and Baptocostal understanding of scripture. And of course I was at Fuller, which not, nah, and not welcoming and affirming, nah. So mm -hmm. then what does it mean? And by the end of lunch, you know, I, I can't, this is where I landed at the end of lunch. I said, I don't understand it, but I know that there's a call in your life. So I'm committed to walking with you and to seeing what God does with this. Because at that moment, I recognized that I was not so big that I had, you know, all the answers, right? I, I didn't know so much that I couldn't receive that God is taking this man, this way. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, and so it 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 required me. It, it was God. I'm dying. That was one of the best things that that happened to me, is being in a relationship with someone who I, in my in my old sense of knowing, would not have affirmed, would not have understood, but watching the call on his life be worked out in real time and walking with him, deconstruction, completely decolonization, like boom, that that's, because it was, this call on his life was undeniable, right? So anyway, um, that is, that is 
part of what I feel it means to decolonize, even, even as scary as that might be, you know, my whole way of believing had been upset by, by that one relationship. Um, but I am a better Christian. I'm a better preacher. I'm a better pastor for it. And that's real. So what are you all, let me ask you all, are there some things that you are currently decolonizing or deconstructing in your faith? And, and before you answer, I will also say that my decolonizing of my faith around same gender loving relationships is ongoing. I have not yet arrived um, and I'm still relying on the Holy Spirit to, to help me understand more and more as I walk. But I just want to put that out there to y'all. What are some things that you all um, are working on? If you don't mind sharing. Ooh, it's quiet. It's quiet. I was, I was giving Greta a chance because I thought Greta looked like she was about to uh about to go. Well, and mine is quick. Currently, I'm not deconstructing anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, right now, I am just trying to uh breathe uh and, and do life. <laughs> um so yeah, I, my 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 deconstructing decolonizing is on pause right now. So mine is easy. She I said, "I'm just it. resting in Jesus right now. I just am resting." That's all I can do. I'm holding. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding on. Yet holding on. Well, keep on keeping on. I'm trying to keep on keeping on. Yeah. I, I guess for me, if I would say something, I don't know that it's at the forefront of my brain, but the idea of I don't know necessarily if I'm deconstructing it so much as I'm trying to find language to speak with people who don't um, believe it. But I believe that, you know, religion is not about just Christianity. And so that African spirituality is just as valid as a spiritual practice. And so, you know, um, Bay grew up JW. And although he's not a practicing JW, he like really gives me the business about it being like, how you going to talk about, you know, these pagan religions as being valid. And I'm like, I don't know how to put it into words, but I just do not believe that God uh, only spoke to, you know, the Hebrew people. And that's the end all be all of, you know, the, the faith practice. And so, you know, he's always saying, but they do this and they do that. And how can that be okay when the Bible clearly says, and I'm like, I don't know how to put that into words, but I can say that at the heart of who I understand the Lord to be, mm -hmm. um, I believe that God is a God of love. And I believe that God is all has always been speaking to people about, uh, about God's self. Yeah. And so everyone has come to understand or hear a different aspect of God. And I honestly believe that when we pair what other people have heard about God with our um, place that we land, we actually begin to see uh, fuller examples of God. And so, um, for example, I'll say that talking to some of my Hindu friends has illuminated some of my understanding about Jesus's teachings um, in the biblical text. But you have to be open enough to be able to hear what other people 
are hearing when we talk about decolonizing I understand that a lot of our negativity even does not just come from reading the text, but it comes from a historical aspect where uh, the religious practices of Native people were demonized mm-hmm. to spread the gospel of Christianity. And so there is that that's also an aspect of it. So not necessarily actively doing it for me, maybe actively trying to come up with the language to be able to help other people. Uh, work through that. And language is such a such an integral part of our understanding and and how we use language to affirm or or not different theological positions. Um, so that's that's really important. So one of the things that um I believe we did with our last episode is we actually, um, we didn't call it that, but we decolonized the Lenten practice in our last episode when we talked about um, the fact that Black people, Black women in particular, live sacrificial lives. So why are we giving up yet other things, you know, yet something else? Um, even just the, the practice of understanding that Lent is not necessarily about giving up as much as it is as connecting with God and with others is decolonizing the practice, the spiritual practice. Um, so yeah, that is, <laughs> that's what I want to say about that. Um, the beauty of, part of the beauty about Lent is that it's both personal and it's communal as well as it's, it's as communal as we want to make it. It's a spiritual practice that you can construct and deconstruct. You pray and you discern what to give up or to give into. You can pray and structure, you know, how you're going to create sacred space for you and God to commune. So it's just a beautiful time to come, sit down somewhere, sit with Jesus, sift through what you believe about Jesus, about his life and why. Think about who, who, how you learned your faith, how you came to faith. Right? Why you believe what you believe? Sit with the hard questions. Mm-hmm. Sit with the repetitive questions that come up in your life again and again. Sit with the scary questions, right? And, and see what God won't do with that. So, um, before we go, I just want to add a few more books to the books that uh, Takesha gave us last week to to read and consider. Um, if you're thinking about working through decolonizing your faith. Uh, the book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James Cone is a fantastic um, uh, a fantastic book about the cross in and of itself and the ways in which that the cross has been fetishized in much of Christianity and how we understand the cross as uh, both um, the substitutionary atonement, right? Or we can understand it as a liberative instrument for all of us. So there's a lot there to unpack. And then Shoes That Fit Our Feet by Dwight Hopkins. If you're thinking about the issues of sexuality and gender identity and and all of those things um, and how there is a theology for all of us, no matter where we fit, that's the book for you to, to consider during this Lenten season. But uh, before we go, ladies, I just want to toss it back to y'all. Talk to me and say something about decolonizing your Lenten practice. Go with God. 
<laughs> um, I don't know, but when you were talking about the cross and a Linton tree, something just really popped in me. It was like, you should do that. And so, oh, my goodness, I'm looking for my book now to sit, to look through it and be because I've been, you know, saying, okay, God, what are we doing for Lent? You know, it's it's about that time. I got to get together. And um, honestly, I had to pull something I'd done at one of my other churches, and I was just gonna tweak it. But um, <laughs> but you know, I love to do book studies. I really do because you know, I, I for maybe I have a, a cynical thought about that but but i just don't think our congregations are are exposed as much as they should be and so um i try to do book studies with them to to enlighten and to broaden and to that kind of thing so yeah and i haven't i've i've just i gotta find it but yeah anyway so thank you for that <laughs> same thing i said you know that has been on my reading list and as we were trying to you know discern what i wanted to do i was like that's been on my reading list for a very long time since we were together at uh <laughs> in our doctoral program it has been on my list and so i said well you know what um let me pick it up and i was trying to decide on that i was like will that be personal practice and then um look at preaching it next year because I do have my series for this year um that God that God gave me so hey. <laughs> but um yeah I I definitely that 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 spoke to me so I say that to say that let Lent be an opportunity for you not to just do what is the course of action or the expected mm -hmm but let Lent be an opportunity for you to revive and to receive new ways of understanding and receiving God. Mm. That's good. That's good. Amen. All right, people. So thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate you all for taking your time out, taking time out in your day uh, to be with us, to laugh with us, to learn with us, to enjoy uh, with us and we will see you on the next episode. Peace. Bye. Bye.